I just arrived at a 12-story building on the west side of Singapore. It's a concrete box painted eggshell white with a simple brown stripe along the fourth story and a huge number on the side. There's a small playground out front and mature trees and grassy open spaces all around. But to be quite honest, it looks almost exactly like the half dozen other high-rise buildings around it. I'm here to visit one of my students. I'm not worried about him or anything. I just want to see where he lives. Ryan, a second-year computer engineering major, has invited me to meet his family and see his home in Singapore's famously high-quality public housing. I'm Chris McMorrin, a professor at the National University of Singapore, and you're listening to Home on the Dot, the podcast that explores the meaning of home in Singapore through the stories and lives of my students. Most academic studies of home begin with the residence. For most people, it's the most fundamental and important space of everyday life. It's a space of rest and recovery from work or school, a space of interaction with family and friends, and the largest economic investment one will ever make. In other words, the residence is the most basic social and economic building block of neighborhoods, cities, and nations. This episode explores the most common form of residence in Singapore, the HDB. HDB is the acronym for the Housing Development Board, the arm of the government responsible for almost every aspect of the planning, design, construction, sale, and maintenance of these homes. And as I've learned in my eight years of living in Singapore, any attempt to understand home in this country must begin with understanding this unique form of public housing. In many countries, public housing is associated with images of poverty and neglect. But in Singapore, public housing lacks those negative connotations. That's because around 80% of the population lives in public housing, and most of it is owner-occupied, not rented. It is public because the government is the planner, developer, and real estate agent. Plus, these high-rise complexes clustered all around this island nation are well-built and well-maintained, with amenities like playgrounds, outdoor exercise facilities, and covered walkways that link residents to nearby community centers, shopping centers, food courts, schools, and the country's clean and efficient public transportation network. Since Singapore is so small and private housing so expensive, public housing is really the only option for most people. But the success of the program and the quality of the homes has long been a point of pride for the government and most Singapore residents. This pride often extends to my students, who recognize the importance of HDB in creating the landscape of contemporary Singapore. But that pride is often complicated by anxiety over eligibility requirements, rules, costs, and other issues linked with HDB ownership. Our HDB guides in this episode are Ryan, Huijun, and Reno, who produced the following segment for class in 2017. In fact, their work helped inspire the Home on the Dot podcast by showing me the creativity, critical thinking, and storytelling ability of NUS students. Starting with their title, 
Happy Dream Blocks, which is a playful alternative reading of the HDB acronym. They critically analyze the public housing program and express their ambivalence, a common feeling among my students toward the program designed to benefit them all. As they explain, these high-quality homes in ethnically mixed neighborhoods have been one of the most visible everyday reminders of promises fulfilled by the PAP, or People's Action Party, the single political party that has led Singapore since the country was founded half a century ago. But the government has also used the public housing program to celebrate some cultural values at the expense of others. For instance, it has limited HDB access to certain groups, ideally married heterosexual couples with children. This has made other groups feel unwelcome in housing that's supposed to be for the entire public. This is especially the case for homosexuals and singles below the age of 35, the age at which an unmarried person can finally purchase an HDB flat. As you might expect, such criteria weigh heavily on some students, as they look to the future and wonder whether they want to, or will be able to, buy into the Singaporean dream of HDB ownership. Before I turn it over to Ryan, Huijun, and Reno, I'll point out a few important details. First, the HDB world is full of acronyms. In this episode, for instance, an interviewee mentions a BTO. This stands for Build to Order and refers to a new flat. This is what newly married couples typically purchase, and it comes with the most generous government grants. Also, it's useful to know that Singapore consists of several ethnic groups. Around 70% are Chinese, 20% Malay, and 10% Indian and Eurasian. And that the government tries to maintain a balance of these percentages in its public housing blocks through what are frequently called racial quotas. Okay, here's Happy Dream Blocks, produced by Ryan, Huijun, and Reno, and narrated by Rick. These are sounds from a typical family living in a HDB flat, a place where 80% of Singaporeans live in and call home. But what is the profile of such a family? What norms are attached to the definition of a Singaporean family? Let us hear what Prime Minister Lee Hsien Long has to say about this. And by family in Singapore, we mean one man, one woman, marrying, having children, and bringing up children within that framework of a stable family unit. And if you look at the way our housing board flats are, our neighbourhoods, our new towns, that's by and large the way Singaporeans live. It's not so in other countries, particularly in the West anymore, but it is here. I acknowledge that not everybody fits into this mould, 
Some are single, some have more colorful lifestyles, some are gay. But a heterosexual stable family is a social norm. It's what we teach in schools. It's what parents want to see, want their children to see as their children grow up, to set their expectations and encourage them to develop in this direction. And I think the vast majority of Singaporeans want to keep it this way, want to keep our society like this, and so does the government. In Singapore, the definition of a family is rather rigid. One necessary condition for flat ownership includes having a proper family nucleus, specifically a heterosexual family. These conditions prevent homosexual couples, as well as singles, from easy access to a HDB flat purchase. Considering the sheer number of flats filled with ideal families, these alternative parties become almost invisible. This seems to be the intention of the state, which regards the institution of the family as the cornerstone of society, requiring a foundation of married, monogamous, heterosexual, procreative couples. What then do Singaporeans feel about these restrictions on the purchase of HDB flats? Let us find out. As a 31-year-old single, what do you feel about the HDB policies of like purchasing a flat? I think it is not very advantageous for singles because by the time they're 35, if they want to apply for a HDB, a, um, like a BTO, they can only apply for a two-room studio apartment which is really, really small. So first of all, that is not advantageous for the single. And second of all, if you're 35 and you apply for a BTO, you have to wait four years. So by the time you get your house, you'll be 39 and that's really very old already. Yeah, so. I think also the grants for singles is also not as not as good as the grants for the like married couples. Yeah, but I guess that's all the part of government's plan of wanting people to get married, so they just try to put singles at a disadvantage. But I think with the growing like uh, number of singles in society and all, they really need to care for the singles a bit more than the married couples. I mean, not more than the married couples, but more. Than, rather than just putting us at a disadvantage only when you're 35. Man, in other countries, people already have their own house by like, I don't know, 20 plus, even earlier. But in Singapore, it's just difficult. So I think the government can be doing more about that. With the current policies and all from the government, it does feel like I'm being put at a disadvantage and the doesn't, government doesn't really care as much uh, for me. So yeah, I guess my sense of belonging does uh, feel a bit less than if I think if I were to have my own house and if the government has good uh, policies for singles and then I can feel more at home and uh, that I am treated uh, well and equally. Many members have said this, but it's true and it's worth saying again. Singapore is basically a conservative society. The family is the basic building block of this society. It has been so, and by policy, we have reinforced this, and we want to keep it so. 
Public housing is one of the tools used by the Singapore government to build and reinforce a certain ideological hegemony. Through monopoly over the provision of public housing, the state has the power to influence private lives and to promote specific ideas of home as natural and commonsensical. However, looking beyond the scope of the family household, the government also has a hold on wider definitions of home. We now step out of the household into the community. In the vicinity, there are many shared amenities such as common parks, shared sport facilities, and neighbourhood centres. By using shared common spaces, the government tries to incorporate the community into their definition of the ideal HDB home. Do you have many friends in the neighbourhood? Uh, I have uh, quite a number of friends, but uh, there are a few uh, uh, very closer ones. It says one of the neighbour, uh, just uh, just few doors away. Uh, I got to know her when you know uh, many years ago when she was renovating her house. So the other friend, I got to know her when uh, we were waiting for our um, kids to go up the school bus. So that's how we uh, get to know each other. Eventually. Uh, uh, we introduce like each other, so at the end, uh, we are close friends. Now, do you meet up with them often? Uh, yes, we do meet up quite often. Uh, when I have my like off day on Tuesday and Thursday, at least twice a week. We normally what we do is that uh, we will go to the park like uh, in the morning to walk around the. The, the, the park and then after that uh, normally we will go for breakfast together and then we may be like doing some marketing uh, at the nearby market and then uh, we do sometimes uh, like go out shopping uh, it can be also the neighborhood shopping center like the jam the westgate the imm and then the Sometimes we do go like you know as friends and we, we feel uh, we, we normally will also attend uh, courses in the community center uh, to learn about uh, new things that we are not very good at. Uh, sometimes we do things like baking, cooking, learning internet, uh, learning how to cut hair. So that's where the time when we get to even know more people in the community center. Do you feel that being part of the community makes you feel more at home? Having friends around me makes me feel more at home. Meaning is also to be created within the neighbourhood, not just within the household. Here we see how the imaginaries of home is important in the HDB's representation of the ideal home through the inclusion of the community. Oh, I'm very full from dinner though. Oh, what you eat? Oh, I ate one chicken rice and oh, two egg prata. Oh, oh, buy my favorite drink. Oh, ice bandung. Shook. Sure. Oh, so many things. Got Chinese, Indian, Malay. Yes, yeah. Oh, I wonder why every hawker center uh, got so many different types of food. 
Hmm. Singapore always going on and on about the racial harmony. Maybe that's the reason why they impose all this racial quota when buying HDB flat. Actually quite good initiative. This community that HDB blocks are situated within is by no means generic. It is a multiracial one. By maintaining racial quotas, it ensures that the neighbourhood would comprise of people from different races and ethnicities. The state sees this as a necessary step in preventing the formation of racial enclaves in different neighbourhoods. This helps prevent any potential racial tension and friction. The establishment of the racial quota is seen as something that is necessary and done for the good of the nation. When neighbours of different ethnicities live together harmoniously, the ideal multiracial community is formed. This community is then promoted as natural and commonsensical. In this way, HDB flats exemplify certain ideological beliefs and values. And in this case, Singapore as a multiracial society. Now, let us broaden our perspective and see how home is constructed at a national level. Minister Mentor Lee Kuan Yew articulated the importance of giving every citizen a stake in Singapore. One such way provided by the government is through home ownership. Owning a home creates a sense of belonging and helps Singaporeans establish a stake in the Singaporean system, which may be the reason why 85% of HDB flats are purchased instead of rented. In the same vein, Agnew argues that property ownership can help increase one's commitment towards existing social order via the upping of one's personal stakes. The success of public housing has given the Singapore government further legitimacy as it is a constant reminder of the state's ability to improve living conditions. Being in the position of power, the state has the ability to influence social norms within the family, community and nation. Even for those who do not live in HDB flats, the visible stake of HDBs on Singapore's landscape makes it very hard to avoid the notions of home that comes with it. Its prevalence makes it the perfect instrument in constructing ideological hegemony. A unique book was published in 2017, titled HDB, Homes of Singapore. This massive volume at 680 pages and 5 kilograms features photographs of the interiors of over 100 HDB flats from around the country. Kitchens, living rooms, bedrooms, balcony gardens, all on display for the curious reader. Some HDBs look like they belong in a design magazine. But most are humble flats, lived in, simple, with clutter on desks, toys on the floor, and odd trinkets on the bookshelves. From the outside, all HDB flats may look alike. But in the book, the authors, Japanese designers and architects living in Singapore, set out to discover and celebrate how people make these spaces their own. In fact, the variety of flats featured in the book makes it seem as if everyone can express their unique idea of home through their HDB flat. But as Ryan, Huijun, and Reno remind us, the fact that the state limits who can purchase an HDB unit makes some people feel they don't belong. In that case, how happy can Singapore's happy dream blocks really be? This episode of Home on the Dot was written and produced by Ryan, Huijun, and Reno, 
Our sound engineers were Ryan Ong, Tong Huijun, and Stanley Chow. Thanks to Ryan's parents for welcoming me to their lovely home and for sharing the story of their HDB. Finally, special thanks to the authors of HDB, Homes of Singapore, Tomohisa Miyauchi, and the artist collective known as Keakismos, for daring to knock on so many strangers' doors and for sharing stories of your HDB adventures with me and my class. For more information about this episode and the Home on the Dot project, please visit our homepage at tinyurl.com slash home on the dot or visit our Facebook page titled at home on the dot. Thank you for listening. Thank you.